Hi, and welcome to the Act React podcast, where we're going to be exploring improvisation through conversations with artists from all genres and fields. This is the first episode of the first season, so thank you for joining me. I'm Daniel Burkholder, a dancer currently based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where I'm on faculty at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. This podcast came about because I've been exploring improvisation, both as a creative tool to develop choreography and also as a performance form in and of itself for 20 plus years. I've always been interested in what people are thinking about improvisation, how they employ it in their creative work, and, and how they even define it for their own, from their own perspective. So in this first season of Act React, I've talked to um, five artists who explore improvisation as part of their core artistic practice. I wanted to get their perspectives um, as a way to form my own practice, um, both as a performer and as a teacher. Um, in this first episode, I've had the pleasure of interviewing Stephen Nachmanovich. Many of you are probably familiar with Stephen's book, Free Play, which is one of my favorite books about improvisation. Um, it's, it's really thoughtful and accessible, um, and, and I, I think it's really good both for my own practice and um, I use it in, in my teaching for my students. Uh, here's, a, here's a short uh, bio about Stephen. Stephen Nachmanovich performs and teaches internationally as an improvisational violinist. He is the author of Free Play, Improvisation in Life and Art. He has degrees from Harvard and the University of California, where he earned a PhD in the history of consciousness. He's taught and lectured widely in the United States and internationally on creativity and the spiritual underpinnings of art. In the 1970s, he was a pioneer in free improvisation on violin, viola, and electric violin. He has collaborated with artists in music, dance, theater, film, and has developed programs melding art, music, literature, and computer technology. He lives with his family in Charlottesville, Virginia. His current endeavors include performing, recording, teaching, writing, and has completed a new book, Five Minutes Old. So please check out the description of the podcast for information on how to find out more about Stephen and myself and the podcast. So without further delay, here's my conversation with Stephen. Enjoy. Well, hi, Stephen. Thank you so much for joining me today to, for this conversation. Thank you. Um, to start off, I guess just um, in terms of, of how you think about improvisation as an artist, as a teacher in your everyday life, um, could you define what improvisation is? Yes. Well, uh, let's say... If you're a musician, mm -hmm. improvising is playing music that's less than five minutes old. Hmm. <laughs> right. So there's a, a sense that the the creation of it is also the performance of it. Yes. Yeah. And if you're speaking, I mean, we're so we're speaking and we're having a conversation that's less than five minutes old, and. Um, whatever field you are improvising in that's the hallmark of it right yeah definitely one of the in and, one and and yeah. uh, you know to to uh to amplify that um i mean we have an we ha we 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 talk about being in the here and now or the present mm -hmm. and uh mindfulness is of course in implicated in all of this very deeply uh, but uh, I, I pick an arbitrary number like five minutes old because it's also true 
that now that we have been talking just for one minute so far, uh, the our speech in the present moment is kind of conditioned by what we've been talking about already, mm-hmm. and it will kind of condition what we talk about five minutes from now, because we will see patterns, find patterns, pick them up, weave them back into the structure of conversation that we create. So in a sense, there is, uh, we're entirely in the present, and in another sense, we're dealing within uh, a kind of piece of time uh, in which the um, bits of information we exchange are constantly weaving themselves back and forth with each other. Well, yeah, isn't there, we, we could think of almost that the present moment is there's always this little bit of um, acknowledgement, maybe even tension between the past and the future. Possibly. Yeah. Um, it, you know, this relates to, to, to something else that I, that I read that you wrote about, that improvisation is about kind of data collection. Uh-huh. And, and it was kind of what you were talking about reminds me of that and that we're dealing with this set of data that's coming in and processing it and then outputting somehow. Right. And yeah, uh, I mean, it is. It's data collection. It's pattern recognition. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, art and science are intimately related to each other. Right. And we are um, we're perceiving fields of information, uh, perhaps a tiny, tiny fraction of what might be available at this moment mm-hmm. for our eyes or before our ears or mm-hmm. our noses or whatever it might right. be. And uh, and we're perceiving patterns and we're choosing patterns and we're choosing paths among those patterns. Right. That, could, you, could you speak a little bit more about that, about that choosing? Because... Um, you know, improvisation, I think I, I even heard you mention this, is not just kind of doing whatever you want. It's mm-hmm. not just going crazy or, or losing control, but it's, it's about that kind of collecting data. Well, doing what you want is not necessarily the same as crazy or losing control. Fair enough. Whereas, <laughs> Fair enough. And uh, uh, doing what you want, you know, your desires, your interests, um your connection with other people, uh, your connection with everything else around you, um, tends towards certain kind of pathways. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you pick your way, you're improvisationally walking down the street of a city that you've never been in before, uh, possibly with somebody else. And, um, both of you are attracted by certain things and drawn by certain things. Uh, sometimes you're attracted in two different directions. And uh, those attractions are conditioned, you know, partly on the surprise of the moment and partly on the accumulated um, experience of your entire lifetime. Yes, and those choices are also kind of conditioned or framed by the limitations of walking down this street that 
there's cars in the road, so maybe you can't go there. There's buildings that maybe you can't go in. So there's also limitations built into that situation that then you're right. negotiating with as well. Right. Right. And, and, and I guess maybe if you could speak to how those limitations come up in, say, an artistic practice, uh, a performance. Um, when you're performing, what kind of limitations are you often using or, or working with um, in your improvisations? Well, there's the limitation. Uh, I mean, I talk in free play. I think I mentioned something about the degrees of freedom. Right, yes. And there are the degrees of freedom, you know, let's say just of your elbow joint, you know, that you can, you can uh, uh, flex your elbow joint uh, to about what, about, you know, like maybe 10 degrees of angle or out to 180 degrees of angle, but you can't flex your elbow joint out to uh, 250 degrees of angle. Right. You know, that there are limitations built in to the structure of your body. Uh, some of those limitations are, uh, again, just with body limitations, there are limitations that we, we can extend to some degree by stretching and by practice and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but that we still have the, the shape of the body that we have. We have the shape of the musical instrument that we play on. We have the tensile strength of the strings on the musical instrument. We have gravity. We have all the Newtonian stuff. You know, the, the nature of motion, the nature of solid bodies. You know, the solid bodies may be temporary and impermanent in a bigger um, or Buddhist scale of things. Uh, but in the moment, they certainly are there. Mm -hmm. And each of these limitations uh, is a pattern upon which you can build the art that you're making. Yeah, one thing I mention in um, the new book that I have finished now, yes. after many, many years, is uh, there's something called the Theaters Act, in England, hmm. which criminalized improvisation. Oh my gosh! And I believe it's—I believe it was passed by Parliament in 1848. And um, this was—I'm not sure if that's the right date, but I'll check that. Sure. Um, and um, the reason for it, of course, is that. Um, Theater is has theater like novels, like movies, like many art forms, um, has always uh, had a politically suspect side, and uh, they needed to be able to censor a play if they wished to do so. And you couldn't censor a script if there wasn't a script. Oh, right, of course. And you approve a script if there was no script. Mm hmm. And strangely enough, the Theaters Act was eventually um, repealed, but not until 1968. <laughs> and, you know, there's many analogs to this. Um, you have uh, uh, in music, uh, improvisational music is 
hard to copyright. I mean, you can copyright a recording. Right. You, if you create the music, record it, and then put it out as a product, uh, and now it has kind of jumped the line from process to product. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, but you can't really copyright improvisational activity, and you know that makes sense. And of course, part of copyright has to do with the whole notion of of property, which is a little bit suspect, but our world does run on it. Right. Uh, so it's uh, it, it's problematical. I mean, one of the things that you might do in the, um, of course, this is in the past now, but yeah. in the grant proposal you were mentioning would be to simply not even mention the word improvisation right and that since you have a since since you did develop a uh, a nicely articulated explanation of what you're doing uh you can leave the word improvisation out of it and uh of course that's kind of a a hypnotic procedure but it's still (laughs) interesting uh one thing that i find um when i go to um universities and other settings to teach that of course it's not impossible to um, it's, it's not possible to completely delete the word improvisation because if somebody's going to come to my workshop at 3 p.m. in a certain room uh, somehow the the virtual invisible word improvisation is going to be written over the door in some way <laughs> right however i try to keep my mouth shut about it as much as possible because it doesn't actually help yeah yeah no I, I, I we do what we do you know we make sound we move we write um we uh shoot film uh we do all the we teach, we do all the things that we do, and uh, the less we label it, uh, the easier it is for people to take it in. Yeah, it's true. I mean, certainly when I'm teaching, say, um, dancers who are less experienced and I'm, I'm asking them to, to improvise, I often say, let's just explore this. Let's just try yeah. this without yeah. trying to... Uh, scare them away that is some big difficult or scary thing um, right but of course since you work in a in a language of gesture and movement you don't even have to say let's try this right that is you can just do it together without labeling it or even saying what you're going to do and uh i i discover I, i don't i can't always do this but I feel that I am most successful as a teacher when I don't say anything at all. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of very funny, you know, when like, you know, a university or some institution will pay me a lot of money to travel a long distance and be there and then keep my mouth shut and stand back <laughs> and allow things to happen. Uh, but that's that's how it works at its best. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but there's there's also, I mean, I I would venture to say that you can do that because of uh, the breadth of your knowledge and experience and um, confidence in the people who are playing. Yeah. Right. Um, I I think somewhere you wrote, I wrote a couple of things down. You said, of course, and it says, um, 
It says, you said, about the only thing I say when I make comments on people, uh, uh, pieces, is maybe play less. Yeah. And, and that is also, it's like that idea of, of playing and, and moving and um, giving space, either it's time or physical space to things, can be challenging for people yeah. when they're in this improvisational exploration. Yes. And that's true. It's true not just of students, right? Uh, but of professionals. I mean, one of the things that uh, you often see in the improvisation scene in many art forms among professionals is um, playing very loud, very fast, with lots of notes, with lots of gestures, uh, with lots of words, whatever the medium is. Uh, because, in a sense, hanging over, uh, hanging over the stage is the ghost of the various great creators of the past, or the ghost of classical music, or the ghost of the great jazzers of the past, or whoever might be. And so, if you are getting on stage with your cello, you want to prove that you can play just as fast and just as intricately and just as complex material as the classics. So to actually take the time and space to take a breath and play a tone and let that tone sink in and take another breath and do very little and respond to your partners and give them the opportunity to take a breath without stepping on it is really an interesting discipline. It, it, it is. I, I mean, I, as you're saying this, I've had that same experience both with other dancers and when I'm working with musicians improvisationally. And, you know, sometimes even at the beginning of a performance, we'll make a little plan like, okay, I'll start. And then after a minute or two, you come in and then, and then, you know, like kind of yeah. set that. And then we start and everyone just starts. Yeah. <laughs> like whatever, whatever that idea of taking time and letting things uh, evolve. Um, it just, it kind of just, poof, everything, everyone jumps in the pot. And, um, not always. I've certainly had lots of experiences where it's not that, but I've certainly had that experience where it does feel like, oh, how dense can we make this as quickly as possible? Yeah. Um, but I think that also goes to a lot about presence and listening, um, both listening to sound and listening to space, uh, about um, that idea that you started, I think, of this thinking about that we are composing at the same time we're, we're playing. We're not just playing. We're also yeah. trying to make something that has some coherency to it. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm listening, I've been listening to your music and um, I've been, this, there's this um, interesting, in, in Free Play, in the chapter, The Mind at Play, you talk about, about playing, of course, but you also talk about this idea of having technique to burn. Yeah, and that it's so I you know in certain parts of the dance world, dance improv world, um, training for technique is sometimes there's sometimes a resistance to that, as if that somehow takes away a more natural way of moving. Yeah, and um, but you kind of make I think the opposite argument that that having technique gives you the opportunity to express what you want. 
um, or what, how, responding in the moment with as many skills as possible. Um, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how that comes to play in your own music when you're playing and improvising. What's that relationship between technique and momentary inspiration or following those patterns? Well, they don't have to be two separate things, mm -hmm. you know, uh, because when you're following the patterns, um, you can follow the pattern now and the pattern feels a little bit muddy. So you follow the pattern again. Uh huh. And then you can follow the pattern again and it gets less muddy. Mm hmm. And uh, there is the. There is simply the business of practice and exercise and trying things and trying them again and trying them different ways mm -hmm. and getting stronger, getting quieter, getting more patient. Uh, to have the patience to allow yourself to learn something, which certainly may not be the... Uh, you may not be learning that something in the traditional way. You may not be following the patterns that have been laid down by other people, but you're still following patterns, mm -hmm. still discovering patterns. Right. Well, and also this makes me think of like technique, not that maybe it's the word technique that gets like technique isn't always what we traditionally think of it as being like it's not necessarily doing your scales and just doing them as fast as you can or something but it's, right. there's a technique to 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 listening or there's a, ten, a technique to um playing all those things you said and ways that you are negotiating playing in the moment i mean i'm thinking when you're saying that i'm thinking of um i have an old friend who lives in Berkeley, uh, who's a rabbi hmm. named Jonathan Omerman. And uh, he used to, many years ago, uh, I went to, uh, uh, we, we, we had done various projects together, teaching in the past, uh, but I went to services that he gave for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm the kind of person who is very, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not a big um, um, booster in general of organized religion, or I'm certainly not of the three big monotheistic religions after right. all they've done on our planet. Uh, but Jonathan is one of those characters who is really, really interesting uh, in, the way he, in the way he approached the traditional liturgy. So there was a there's a thing called aliyah, which means coming up to the like the like a, the, the the person at the at the head of the room would read little portions of the Torah. Mm -hmm. There's certain prayers that are said by somebody who's sort of announcing, you know, now we're going to read this part of the Torah and bless you for doing it, and it's a very um, it's a very uh, short, uh, codified prayer, and generally in traditional temples, they would call up somebody, you know, some dude in the congregation that they wanted to honor in some way who would say this prayer. 
and the prayer would be said word for word. And Jonathan, uh, with let's say about 120 people or something in the room, he would call, there would be maybe 10, 12 different aliyahs uh, calling people up, and he would say, um, okay, now everybody in the room, instead of calling one person up, he'd say, uh, everybody in the room who lost a loved one in the past year come up and say it. And then uh, the next one, everybody in the room who fell in love in the last year come up and say it. Hmm. And then, then everybody who came up and he would mention intense life experiences uh, or experiences of regret or experience, you know, experiences that, that everybody has at some point or other, but in any one group, yeah. there'll only be a few people. And so the people would come up and say these, or, or at other times he would um, ask somebody that would be a com- totally repetitious rote um, prayer that people would say, and he'd say, okay, now say it as though you're imploring your loved one not to leave on a long journey because you'll be alone. And now say it as though it was the last thing you're saying to a dying person. And now say it as though you're reading stock quotes in the newspaper. <laughs> now say it as though, you know, and it was actually, yeah. it was almost like uh, Stanislavski technique for actors. Right. Uh, but but that's technique. Okay, that's taking a completely um, standard activity. I mean, in his case, it was a ritualized religious activity, but it could be any kind of standardized activity that people do, and apply and doing it over and over again in different ways, yeah. doing with, doing it with different tone colors. Uh, play a musical passage uh, with rage, play the same musical passage uh, questioningly, play the same musical passage fearfully, you know. Yeah. And that's technique. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that, I, I, I love, that's a beautiful story. And um, it's a beautiful analogy to thinking about how one becomes more articulate in whatever they're doing, whether it's a musical instrument, whether it's dancing, whether it's um, just living life of uh, almost this idea of like finding themes and then finding variations within those themes. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Um, so like maybe two more little questions here. Um, maybe another, maybe they're not so little. Um, <laughs> I say that and then it's like this question about like, yeah, impro- about it. right. Yeah. Like improvisation as a artistic practice. Um, but also improvisation as a life practice. How, yeah. how does, how does this improvisational practice that you have, um, playing, making music, um, translate into kind of everyday living? Well, they're completely interrelated. Yeah. And art, artistic practice, whether it's improvised or not, or semi-improvised, you know, in fact, in fact, there's very little that is improvised and there's very little that is strictly composed and most of our activities are 
somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we recognize um, the structural features of what we do in daily life, you know, they are um, in between. There's somewhere in between. There's activities that we engage in. I mean, you and I just are in the midst of a conversation now. Right. And the conversation is uh, improvised, except that we are sticking to a few topics. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about organic chemistry, though I'm sure we could mm-hmm. figure out a way to work it in <laughs> if we want to. You'd have uh, to do the most of the talking about that, I, I must say. Uh, you know, also there were ritualized things, you know, at the beginning of the conversation, you said hello, and I said hello, and um, we said a few things to verify that we have a good connection on the machinery that we're talking on. Right. And uh, to the extent that we engage in the ritual part of activity, that creates a platform for us to engage in the creative part of the activity. Right. And they're interdependent. Right. Again, this coming, like looping back to this idea of what are the limitations or structures of the situation so that then there can be some freedom within that. Absolutely. You know, and you, you, you get in your car and you drive to the grocery store and uh, when you're in the car, you're following certain rules, but you're also improvising all the time and you're paying attention to what's around you and you are responding to constant little changes, uh, big and little emergencies that might happen at any moment. And then you get to the grocery store and you're ga- engaging in this very uh, standardized kind of activity and in the midst of that, you know, you pass the vegetable section and you think, oh, well, this might be an interesting thing to cook with tonight. Right. And I might visualize, and then you might visualize a dish that you'll make that is different from what you thought you might make and so forth. And uh, all of this, all of these activities of life are interdigitated, uh-huh. you know. And similarly, you know, you can be an improvisational violinist getting up on stage and doing this um, activity which is labeled as being highly creative and highly specialized and the result of a lifetime of practice so that you can improvise something new, except you don't really feel that you're improvising something new at all and that you're just like rattling off the same kinds of uh, gestures that you've done a thousand times and, oh, shit, I'm stuck here again. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be nice to really do something new? So yeah, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to ask you about that. Like when you feel that or when you experience that, how do you how do you not stay there? How do you how do you get out of that stuck place or that repetitive place? Oh, you just enjoy it. You just have to enjoy it. <laughs> Excellent. That sounds like the best uh, plan. Um, so the last thing is, um, you have a new book that you've written. Yes, and um, is is it is it scheduled to come out yet? Do we do people are people able to get it or or look forward to it or what's what's what's? Well, I, well, I hope people will look forward to it, and I've gotten a lot of inquiries from people about it on my yeah. website, 
And uh, I'm still in the process of looking for literary agents and publishers. Okay. And having a track record as I do doesn't necessarily make that much difference. Right. Um, right. Uh, the, the book is called Improvising His Life, or at least that's the current working title. Yeah. The book is done. And uh, so I am hoping that it will be out soon. Right. Uh, and it um, differs from free play in certain ways. It's more concerned with the social dimensions of the improvisational experience in life art mm -hmm. and it's more concerned with the ethical dimensions oh interesting wow uh, you know and and of course those those dimensions are are still connected with the spiritual and the artistic and all the things that we've been talking about yeah definitely well well free play i i i have to say that it is one of my favorite books about improvisation um, it, Thank you. I think it it is very approachable. It is very, in some ways, it's very straightforward, and and it it highlights all of the. But at the same time, it highlights all the complexities of what improvisation is, and um, it's probably one of the books that I've given gifted most actually to fellow artists and improvisers. Um, so I thank you for that book, and I, I look forward to your new book as as soon as we can. Um, get out in the world and get our hands on it. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Um, so, if people are interested in following up and learning more about you, what is the where's the best place for them to find you? Uh, one place is um, my website, freeplay.com. Mm -hmm. uh, another place is my Facebook page, uh, which is Facebook slash Stephen Nachmanovich. Great. I will include links to those when um, when I put this out. Uh, Great. So people can find you. And um, I don't want to take up any more of your time. You've been very generous to speak with me today, and I really appreciate it. It was really great to, to hear you elicit some of these ideas further and, um, and just to talk with you a little bit. Well, thank you so much. It was really a great pleasure for me. Oh, thank you very much. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Stephen Nachmanovich. Uh, again, please check out the show notes for information about how to find Stephen out in the world and on the web. In the next episode of Act React, I'll be talking with my longtime collaborator and friend, Sharon Mansour. Uh, we will discuss a, a bit about what work we've done together as well as her current work um, with improvisational, site-specific work, uh, screen dance, in, uh, installation work in galleries and stuff like that. Really interesting conversation, so I hope you can join us. Uh, and to kind of finish today's episode, we're going to get to listen to Stephen's uh, improvisational performance of Rust Makes Things Beautiful off of his album Impermanence. Uh, so I hope you enjoy it, and until next time.
Thank <laughs> you. 